G'day, it's Phil Edwards, Vision CEO here, with a quick invitation to become part of this amazing beacon of hope called Vision. Together we can put our love into action to help people of all kinds build or rebuild their lives on the truth of God. Please consider the part you can play during our upcoming Visionathon appeal, remembering that it's your support that makes Vision possible, including this podcast. Audio on demand from Vision Christian Media. Jesus said, If you hold to my teachings, you are really my disciples. Then you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. Paul made a very helpful comment when speaking to the Corinthian church about the activity of Satan. He said, We are not ignorant of his devices. How true that is. All we need to know about the way the enemy works is found in the Bible. He's incapable of coming up with fresh tactics and new ways of working. Basically, he does what he's always done. And what is it that he's always done? Well, let's go back to the Garden of Eden. And there we will discover two of his devices. First, he cast doubt upon the Word of God. Has God said? But then when Adam confirmed that God did say that the day that he ate of the forbidden fruit he would die, we see his second tactic, which is to deny the Word of God. You won't die. Sadly, Adam believed the lie and it led to his death and the downfall of the human race. And when Jesus encountered the same enemy in the wilderness, he overcame him every time by asserting it is written. The enemy's devices are to lie against the truth. It's no coincidence that the first piece of armor we're told to put on in spiritual warfare is the belt of truth. This is Set Free with Ken Legg. Hi, and welcome to Set Free. It's Phil here, along with author and teacher Ken Legg. And this week we've been looking at the subject of false teaching. It's a very important point that Ken has just shared with us. Nothing is new with Satan, really. He cast doubt upon the Word of God from day one, and he hasn't stopped doing it since. Now, Ken, yesterday you shared how the Gnostic Gospels started to creep into the church in the first couple of centuries, and for that very purpose of undermining the Word of God, How did the early church deal with that? Well, one of the ways they dealt with that problem was through what we call the canonization of the New Testament. That's a long word, isn't it? But the word canon originally means um, a measuring rule or a standard. Mm -hmm. So it's important to note that the purpose of the canon was not to put on trial the books of the New Testament as they were already generally recognized and accepted as being scripture. The problem was with these other writings that were starting to come in and to circulate. So they needed to be tested by the canon or the measuring rule, that is by the same standard or yardstick as the New Testament books had already been tested by. I can imagine that was a fairly laborious process that they went through to actually canonize the whole thing and also include all these other writings to say yes or no, these ones are in, these ones are out. Yeah, it is. Um, and it was a long process. And remember that the church was scattered, of course, in, in many parts of the world and they didn't have the modern means of communication. Mm. So it took a number of years, actually, to be finalized. The thing to keep in mind is that these books were already received and, and accepted. Yeah. There was no problem with the New Testament books because they were already authenticated, if you like, by their very nature. But it was just when these other books started to come in that um, they were then saying, well, you know, why can't we be a part of the New Testament? They had to go through the same sort of stringent tests, if you like. Yeah. Now, it's interesting because someone has said that the canon is not an authorized collection of books, but a, a collection of authorized books. That word authority is an interesting word, I find, because it contains the word author. Mm. Now, these books were given biblical authority because it was clearly recognized that God was their author. And that's why they appeared in the New Testament. 
Mm, so what was the standard or the measuring rule that they applied? Well, there's a number of tests or questions, if you like, that they asked about each individual book. Uh, let's just look at those for a moment, Phil. First one was, first of all, which is a good place to start, does it actually have any kind of inherent claim to divine authority? I mean, does it claim to be the Word of God? Does it have a thus says the Lord about it, you know, uh, which is a very you know sensible question to ask. Yep. Secondly, did the writer have recognized authority from God? Uh, was he a prophet? Was he an apostle? One who was actually raised up to speak on God's behalf, you know, like Paul, for example. Yeah. A situation in his second letter to the Thessalonians. Now, there was a, a letter that seemed to be circulating saying that the day of the Lord had already come. You know, the second coming had taken place. First question Paul asks is, did I sign that letter? Was that from me? Did it have that kind of authority? And, and, and that put to rest that matter um, of this false teaching that was circulating. You know, it was just, um, it didn't have that apostolic authority. A third question was, you know, was the book itself authentic? You know, was there anything in it that showed it to be, you know, clearly flawed as being a fake or a fraud? Was yeah. there something inherent about it that just gave the game away? The fourth thing is, and I think this is an important question, Phil, is it dynamic? This this letter that's circulating, this book that's being passed around and, and being sort of um, uh, put forward as the scriptures, part of the scriptures, is it dynamic? Does it come with the power of God? You know, the Bible says that the gospel is the power of God to salvation. There's something about the scriptures that you read it and it's powerful. You know, like it's sharper than a two-edged sword. It's not like a work of Shakespeare that, you know, you think, oh, that's a nice writing, a nice uh, work of literary art, you know, but but does it have the power of God? Is it able to change your life, you know, from the inside out? Um, Another question is... um, does its teachings contradict other parts of the Bible? You know, we talked uh, yesterday about the Gnostic Gospels and uh, this rumor that was going around that Jesus got married to Mary and they had children and et cetera, et cetera. So is there anything there that sort of contradicts what's written in other parts of the Bible? And the last thing that they asked was, uh, does this ha- book have Catholicity? Now, That's that a big word, word, it is a big word, and, and people automatically think Catholicity, uh, Roman Catholic Church. Now, the word Catholic just means universal. Yep. So the scriptures that we have today, they were universally accepted. And they had been, you know, uh, through, throughout the years. They were embraced by all the churches. Uh, but, but some of these imposters, you know, you might find a little group over here that was warming to them, but other churches just rejected them out of hand because they they knew that they were not the Word of God because of these other tests that we've just talked about. They'd applied those and rejected them. Funny, I could never figure out as a kid. I grew up in the Anglican Church, and one of the creeds talked about we believe in the holy Catholic Church, or words to that effect. I could never quite figure that out. (laughs) But uh, it means universal, of course. I think one of the more important points uh, in that list is that the writers in the New Testament books had recognized authority from God to speak on his behalf. You know, they were apostles and they were prophets. That's true. Uh, In fact, it's clear, Phil, from the New Testament that the role of the apostles was um, to lay that foundation for the church to be established upon. And their their particular role was crucial. You know, the Bible says that we're built upon the apostles the foundation of the apostles and the prophets. You know, we we find in the Acts of the Apostles that uh, the early church came together around the apostles' doctrine. So their role obviously was crucial. Now, I find this interesting that um, when there was an issue in the early church, in in, in the New Testament, um, they came together to resolve it because they were working in different parts of the world. You know, Paul, of course, being an apostle to the Gentiles and then the others to the Jews. Um, You find there was a problem over the Galatian issue. And they came together. You read about it in um, uh, Galatians chapter 2, I believe it is. And there we see four of these apostles coming together, Peter, Paul, 
John and James. Now you think about those guys, Phil. Those four men wrote at least 22, maybe 23 of the 27 books mm. of the Bible. And so there was a an issue. What is the true nature of the gospel? Uh, is it law-based or is it totally free of the law? Is it, you know, Christ-centered? Um, and, and they discussed it and they said, well, this is the gospel we're preaching. And Paul said, well, this is the gospel I'm preaching. And they'd never met. And yet they were preaching the same gospel. And the Bible says they they extended the right hand of fellowship to one another. They shook on it, in other words. So the role that the apostles had to play in the formation of the scriptures was absolutely crucial. Mm. Now, some people say, well, okay, well, those men that you mentioned wrote 22 or 23. We don't know actually who wrote Hebrews. Uh, so that one aside, you know, they wrote, say, 22 out of the 27 of the books of the New Testament. What about the others? Well, there was Mark, and we know that Mark had an incredible close association with Peter and Paul. Uh, then there was, of course, uh, Luke, who wrote two of the books, and um, he had a very close association with Paul, and um, he did his research very carefully. He makes a point of that. Yeah. Then there was Jude and James, and they were both half-brothers of Jesus. They were actually uh, right there with the apostles from the beginning of the church, and they were called apostles later on. And so basically you can see that uh, their role in providing the church for generations to come with the scriptures that we believe in and and build upon, their role was absolutely crucial. Now, these other guys um, who came sometime 100 years later, they were imposters, and their purpose was to do what Satan has done right from the beginning, which was to cast doubt upon the true word of God, has God said. But as we said, Phil, we're not ignorant of his devices. Some good insight on the subject of false teaching and we'll continue our conversation tomorrow. In the meantime, don't forget, you don't have to carry that baggage. God wants you to be set free. For books, DVDs, small group studies and other resources from Ken Legg and details about Ken's ministry, shop online at vision.org.au. That's vision.org.au. Thanks for taking time to listen to this audio on demand from Vision Christian Media. To find out more about us, go to vision.org.au.